Hello, hey, and how's it going, y'all? Welcome back to Mama Therapy. I've taken a few weeks off so I can recoup, realign with life, and now I'm back and ready to take on this project. Uh, okay, so really I've been procrastinating because this whole adulting life is absolutely ridiculous. Um, I originally had taken a few days off after the 4th of July just for some mommy time and you know, to be able to do some things around the house, just relax, take things slower. But that just isn't at all what happened. And I'm really starting to believe that when you're adulting, and especially with a young child, you never get to do what you want to do again. And it sucks. I hate it. <laughs> Boundaries are hard. And it was like, people knew that I wasn't at work. So this idea that I was freely available, um, that was really hard for me to like tell them, no, I got stuff I want to do. Well, what are you doing? When I, the response was, um, nothing. It, it sucked. That that's what I needed to do with nothing, but it, it is not what I did. Um, so, uh, Back to this, even though I've really been trying to get this podcast up and running, and a month ago, I really had the time and even the resources to do so, that month has completely flown by, flown by and now I'm left with this overwhelming sense of, ugh, <laughs> for lack of a better term. I mean, this summer has just gone way faster for... And definitely faster than I was ready for. And despite me being happy to say goodbye to the heat and the humidity, I'm just not ready to get back into the day-to-day -day hustle of my typical life. So today, uh, despite what I originally had planned, we are going to be reflecting on my summer highlights from finally finding my footing as a parent, or at least so I thought, and the guilt and shame that comes with it, all the way to my attempts to manifest fall faster through what I'm reading, watching, and eating. So sit back, snuggle in, or keep your hands securely on 10 and 2, because here goes nothing. Welcome to Mama Therapy, a lifestyle podcast of random musings from a millennial mama, wife, and therapist. I'm your coffee-dependent host, Brooke. Let's dive in. All right, so first thing first, we are getting back to how parenting is no freaking joke. I mean, just when you think you've gotten the hang of it, your sweet baby goes full-blown toddler tyrant and no one is safe. I still remember when our pediatrician told us at his 18-month appointment that we're going to start getting the signs of whether or not we are recipients of terrible or terrific twos. But I'm pretty sure by 14 months, we knew that our son as sweet as he is, is going to give us a run for our money. And I am not saying by any means that he was a perfect baby. 
he was, <laughs> but we struggled just like a lot of first time parents do. And we've gotten to the point in our parenting journey where we can't talk to anyone who hasn't dealt with this stage. And I mean the toddler stage that we are in, in more than 10 years. I mean, it means their kid better not be older than 10, 10 for us to really talk and feel like they can in any way understand what we're going through. It doesn't make sense to us. So much has changed in the last 10 years alone when it comes to things that doctors recommend or even, you know, education consultants recommend. Until now, I never knew there was something called a pediatric sleep consultant. So there's actual certifications for these people. Usually they're, you know, registered nurses or someone in the health field that come and help talk you through healthy sleep. Some of them will even come to your house and help you sleep train your child. So I don't know whether or not this is like a legit business, whatever. I digress. Basically, if you have kids in your late teens and you're trying to give me advice or share about your experience when your child was a um, a toddler, as my son is, I, I don't know. Everything you say basically feels outdated to me, and that is not personal. It just really feels so disconnected. And this is my official disclaimer <laughs> that if you ever come to me and attempted to brag or even not purposefully brag, just subtly make a comment about how easy your current or I guess now 20 something year old was at my son's current age, respectfully, shut the F up. And I mean that with the absolute love because... Just in this week alone, my imposter syndrome has been blowing my mind. And with that has come a tidal wave of mom shame and mom guilt. And just, you know, for those of you who don't know, imposter syndrome is this idea or this thing that happens to our our in our brains, oh my gosh, I'm stuttering, where basically everything that is real to us or that we thought we believed and valued doesn't seem to be the case anymore. And you start doubting yourself and that negative self-talk really starts to come in and hating on you even when no one around you is saying that. It just comes out as everything is an attack on you as a person and definitely at this stage, uh, maybe not in my in my life, but at least in my week, I am not here for it. I can't handle it. And my poor husband has been just throwing the tissues at me because <laughs> it's been real. But we've been hearing things lately about how other people never had this much trouble with their kid at this age. And it makes me believe that I'm doing something wrong. Or another thing I get is when someone like kind of I 
poo-poos, I hate that phrase, but, you know, they just wave off or minimize a worry or concern I have. Instead of just offering me some guidance or helping me reframe that worry, I go straight into a panic mode that I am overreacting, which only harms my kid instead of actually helping him like I'm trying to be. The big struggle that we're having right now is with bedtime. Uh, We had a legit sleep routine down. And I remember when my son was somewhere between six and eight weeks old, we discovered sleep training and kind of decided, you know, why not? Let's give it a shot. And literally night one that we tried it, he instantly started giving us four hour spurts of sleep would wake up for a feeding and then right back to sleep for another four hours. And it was one of my proudest moments as a first time mom, because I was at that point of sleep deprivation where I thought I was never sleeping again. No time was ever going to be my husband's and mine again. And we were just at the mercy of this tiny alien human being, uh, and catering to their needs. But we did it. We stayed consistent. We definitely, you know, after that had issues with sleep regressions and they do rock your world every three to four months when they show up, but we are always able to keep our routine consistent. If anything, we would tweak 20 minutes here or there, but he did it. He did it. He eventually he was sleeping completely through the night and no problems. At one point, he, you know, when we came to really sleeping through the night and pushing that on, we were able to do the whole cry it out thing. He would cry for maybe 20 minutes and then just be out. It, It never was heartbreaking. It just was, okay, he's learning a new skill and he doesn't like it, but he's gonna do it. Well, (laughs) that ended about a month ago. Um, if not a little bit longer, all of a sudden my son is refusing to sleep in his crib and it's not just, no, I don't want to laugh and run away. It was heart breaking screams as soon as we tried to put him in his crib for bed. And it wasn't just bed. It was for naps too. No idea what triggered this, but he just wouldn't. It was terrible. And He would be okay with everything up to going into his crib. Or maybe he'd get in his crib, sleep for like two hours, wake up screaming, and would be inconsolable. I think that inconsolable probably happened for a couple weeks. And then, all of a sudden, he wanted nothing to do with our bedtime routine after bath. Usually, we would do bath, get him in his jammies, and then he would say goodnight to daddy. I would rock with him. We'd read books and sing a couple songs. He might have some juice, go to bed, and he'd be out. Now, he won't even let me read to him. He, He doesn't want to read. He doesn't want to sing songs. He doesn't even want to rock. Nothing. It's like he's made the connection that, oh no, as soon as you get out those books, that means I'm going to have to go to bed. And no, 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 no. Any attempt to try to keep the routine so we can make a small adjustment was not okay for that. 
And before anybody listening, you know, gives the whole, well, you tried crying it out before, just let him cry it out again and he'll get back to normal. <laughs> we tried that. Oh, we tried that many times. And he would get himself so freaking upset, he would vomit. And not like a little verpy, gaggy sound, maybe some spit up-ish. No, this was like full-on exorcist projectile vomiting. And it smelled terrible. I am an empathetic vomit person, so I can't. I can't do it. And even, usually my husband can clean it up and be okay. He couldn't even go in the room. So it when it smells that bad that we have to run for a bathroom while we're trying to clean up, it wasn't, no, nope, nope, cry it out, not gonna work. So then we tried moving his bedroom around. We changed his curtains and his shades to see, well, maybe a scary shadow came in and something was popping up or he could see something through the window that's freaking him out. We got an extra nightlight. We moved around stuffies or other room decor that again, maybe we're kind of freaking him out in the darkness. We switched him to a toddler bed thinking, okay, maybe this is his way of telling us he's not a little baby anymore and he wants, he's ready for a big boy bed. Took him to the doctor twice to have him, to have them check his ears, check the back of his throat, nothing. I think the last time we took him, they said, yeah, probably upper respiratory infection was coming on. So we started some oral antibiotics. But other than that, there was no reason that they could see. He did have his uh, molars coming through, but even once they were through, it didn't stop. So here we are. <laughs> uh the toddler bed seemed to help a little bit. There has been some progress. Uh, we can get him to sleep till about 2 a.m. But as soon as he wakes up, he's instantly to his door, begging to be let out, crying for one of us. And neither of us are really comfortable letting him just roam in his room. That has been something that was recommended. Let him roam. Eventually, he'll wear himself out and go back to sleep. Or if he wants to sleep on the floor, let him sleep on the floor. We have a cozy little setup for him on the floor if that's what he decides. Nope. Neither of us, again, comfortable with that. And a part of it is probably because I'm not convinced our baby proofing is really sufficient. I just see my kid being able to pull something down on him or wrap something around him, even though I thought I tucked that cord the best I could. So there is a perfect example of imposter syndrome. I didn't do good enough. I nope, nope, nope. So yeah. So for now, it is Miss Rachel and Snuggles with Daddy in the guest room bed while I'm curled up in our bed with our dogs just reading until everybody is asleep or my eyes get heavy. I guess if I were to think positively about this whole situation, having an hour or two by myself has actually given me a chance to get back into reading, which is something that I really wanted to do this summer. In the last month, I've burned through an entire series called The Phoenix Prophecy. The author shares the story of a young woman who's thrown into a prophecy that is about her destiny to save the world and the five men who are fated to love and protect her through it all. It has magic. It has romance. It has action. It has a 
whole freaking lot of sex. So, spoiler alert, trigger warning, whatever you want to call it, there are definitely themes of domestic abuse, rape, BDSM, group sex. This is not an exhaustive list of the trigger warnings, and in order to get that list, you can go to the author's website. Her name is Kara Claire. Um, I think this is actually my first novel that I've ever come across where the author gives you a pretty extensive list of trigger warnings and all of that. So big kudos to them for doing it. Um, I loved the series. Like the pages are ooh, like maybe it's maybe 350 pages average. Um, but I blew through that series in three weeks. I am not a fast reader. So this is a big win for me. Six books, three weeks. Um, I'm now working on the second book of the Hades and Persephone saga by Scarlett St. Clair. And so if you're someone who likes mythology, especially Greek mythology, this is something that I would highly recommend just on the first book alone. It's called A Touch of Darkness. It was a slow burn for me, but I think mostly that is because I was coming out of my post Akatar slump and I when I'm like really heavy into a book, it gets kind of hard for me to get back into something different. Uh, and I even struggle finding books that I really dive into, even when book talk recommend recommendations are just, they're a hit or miss for me. For example, I read The Silent Patient and a ton of my friends had read it. I read reviews and there were a ton there were great reviews saying this is a must read, blah, blah, blah. But I was not impressed. I thought the storyline was predictable. Even if I was doubting myself at times, I still was pretty confident that I knew who done it. And it was, the narration was really wordy and could have had more dialogue. I just like more dialogue than narration. It gave almost you vibes, but even then, I liked you. I liked how the author put those characters through. This one had that very first-person narration while also point-of-view hopping. So always first-person, but from somebody else's point of view. I just wasn't a huge fan. Would not recommend. Read it if you want to. Whatever. I definitely read it because I wanted something thriller suspense like um but as soon as I got out of that instead of continuing into my thriller suspense trope that I typically fall into book talk gave me phoenix prophecy and now I'm down this spicy rabbit hole that's also starting to pick up on my other trope which is witchcraft there is a couple books that I want to read the um it's like Back in a Spell and The X-Hex and all these other things. The Secret Society for Irregular Witches. They're on my must-read list. They seem really good. I've read some samples of them. So those are the kind of books that I think I'm going to be heading into, which just is another sign that I am over summer and ready for fall. And it's throwing me into wanting nothing but cool, cozy days hot apple cider, pumpkin, everything. I'm ready for it. I am ready for fall. And 
part of this is an annual fight in our home because usually when I start getting this way, it means I need to decorate. And my husband, he struggles with this. Prior to when he lived with me, where we lived together, I guess I should say, I had my house decorated by August for fall. Fall colors, pumpkins, apples, all of it, you name it, start of August, it was ready. Once he moved in to our first place, he would beg me to wait until mid-September. Last year was our first year in our home, and I slowly would start pulling things out in August and just kind of like integrate them something. But by September 1st, everything full-blown pumpkins and apples. By mid-late September, the Halloween tidbits would show up. So it's always the big question in our family of how much longer is Brooke going to hold out before forcing everyone to embrace fall. Maybe with decor, I'm going to be able to hold off a little bit longer, but everywhere else, it's pretty much fair game. I've already started watching my favorite shows that get me started and excited into the fall season. So things like Charmed, uh, Penny Dreadful, American Horror Story, things like that. They just draw me to fall and I get excited. They're fun. I like them. They're three very different series. One's really campy. The other two are pretty like horror-esque. Penny Dreadful I love because it's very Victorian and I like period pieces. American Horror Story, not so much the more recent stuff, but those earlier seasons loved them. Definitely very Halloween vibe. You know, I love that spooky part. Um, and then pumpkin is making appearances in our food. <laughs> My first uh, recipes that I've been doing are pumpkin overnight oats. They have been delicious. I did make pumpkin spice oatmeal, warm oatmeal a couple weeks ago. That was so good. It was perfect. And all of my music has a really witchy vibe to it, too. There's a lot of Florence and the Machine, Stevie Nicks, Lana Del Rey, which if you have not listened to her rendition of Season of the Witch, I absolutely love it. It is just, it really transports you back to the original. It gives me kind of like a mid-late 70s vibe, and oh, it's just perfect. So even though... I know I have a ton of summer-loving people in my life, but I'm going to say it. Your hot girl summer days are coming to a close, and it is time to prepare yourself for witch bitch autumn. Okay? Just just embrace it. And I'm not saying that I don't enjoy the pool or I don't enjoy being able to be outside. It is too hot to even freaking be outside. And, yeah, I don't want to be outside when it's this hot, and I don't always want to be around people, so I'm not always at the pool. Plus, I have a toddler. Go back to that scenario at the start of this episode. So, yeah. On all that, I think it's time that I hop off. I probably should go pick up my son from daycare. Uh, and I think we're going to go get some ice cream. Because, again, it's really freaking hot. And ice cream might be the only way I get through it. So, thanks for dropping in. Subscribe or leave a review. Just remember to be kind. Because, remember my imposter syndrome? It's real. And I will see you next time on Mama Therapy.